Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 127 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Thursday, August 20th, 2020. A little 2020 action for your big show today. Second half of the show, a little quality time with the Senator, Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston. Going to get a chance to catch up with Phil Ask him about the defense, the offense, and yes, of course, the quarterbacks, because that's what we do here. We're actually going to talk about that in a bit. But because, well, because we have to. Because everybody lost their minds on Wednesday. And I'm here to sort of snap everybody straight. Before we do that, though, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work. Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course, Pat's Pulpit. Check out Big Blue View because I've got a three-part series going. Breaking down every sack of Daniel Jones in 2019. All 38 of them. And that might not sound exciting to you, but it's a good thing, even if you're not a Giants fan, to read because it gets into the notion that not all sacks are the fault of the offensive line. Not all sacks are the fault of the quarterback. Sacks can have blame for everyone. And I've actually broken it down. Sacks that were Jones' fault, sacks that were kind of his fault, and sacks that were everybody else's fault. And that's the piece that's coming late on Friday. So you can check that out. And of course, over at Touchdown Wire, and that's where I want to begin. Because everybody lost their minds on Wednesday. Because Belichick was asked a question about potentially platooning Jared Stidham and Cam Newton. And everybody lost their minds. I woke up to a deluge. A deluge of like DMs and texts and people losing their minds. Actually, it wasn't that I woke up. This happened while I was taking my daughter to her back to school day um, to get ready, pick up the materials for distance learning and my phone's blowing up and then I finally get a chance to read down what Belichick said he was asked whether a potential quarterback platoon would benefit the offense his answer it might that's that it, it might and everybody lost their minds 
There is so many columns written about how Belichick doesn't dismiss the idea and he doesn't rule it out and they might be running with a platoon and it could be two quarterbacks. Bah, 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 bah. Everybody's losing their minds. He continued, I always say I'll do what I think is best for the team, what gives us the best chance to win. Whatever that is, I would definitely consider it. Run on balance line, double on balance line, 23 personnel, whatever it is, if it helps us win, I would consider anything. That's it. That's it. And people ran with this. And if this isn't the sort of quintessential Belichick non-response to a question about personnel, then I don't know what is. Because when you think of Bill Belichick and non-answers and non-responsive answers, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I guarantee you it's this. We have a 37-year-old to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. Right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati, right? That's where your mind goes first. We're on to Cincinnati. And yes, that's probably like the Belichickian non-answer of all time. We're on to Cincinnati. But it's not the only time that he's done things like this. I mean, just this past year, for example, prior to the Tennessee Titans playoff game, Belichick was asked about what it feels like that this might be your final game with Tom Brady. His response, I'm focused on Tennessee. When you ask Belichick about a specific player, that's where he typically goes into non-responsive mode. If you listen back to the we're on to Cincinnati, what did kick what kicked that off? It was a question about Tom Brady, 37-year-old Tom Brady. That's what kicked it off. I mean, other non-responsive answers. When they lost to Houston this year. And the offense struggled until late in that game when they finally sort of clicked things together. He was asked about the offense. His answer, we all got to do a better job. We gave up 28 points. That's not, we're not making any plays in the kicking game. We've got to perform better, coach better, play better. A non-response. And it was a question about the offense. And what did he talk about? The defense giving up 28 points and not making plays in the kicking game. And after that Texans loss, he was asked again about Brady. His response, in the first half, it wasn't good enough in in any phase of the game. That's it. Non-answer. But yet people are thinking that the fact that Brady didn't dismiss, I mean, Belichick, excuse me, didn't dismiss this outhand, this notion of like platoon and quarterbacks, that it's a valid option. It's on the table. And maybe there's precedent to do that because maybe when Belichick doesn't dismiss something, it means that it might happen. We've got recent examples of that. He was asked back in May about his quarterback room. His response, that's where we are. You never know what's going to happen down the road. We feel like we have four good players there. We added Brian Lewerke and Jamar Smith to Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham. Like to work with all those guys and see how it goes. He doesn't dismiss it. Doesn't dismiss that they're going to add another guy. And they added Cannon Newton. So maybe, maybe everybody's right. Maybe everybody's right that Bill Belichick is going to come out in week one and run a two-quarterback offense. Maybe everybody's right, and I'm the idiot. It's happened before. But if that's the case, why aren't there a ton of columns about people saying that the Patriots are going to be a 23-personnel offense. Where's that column? Where's the column that says, we're going to see a heavy dose of Jakob Johnson and Damian Harris behind Devon CSC, Dalton Keene, and Ryan Izzo? I don't see those columns coming, but he mentioned it right there. They might run 23-personnel. If you felt 23-personnel would help the team, they'd do it. 
But nobody's going down that road. Everybody's going down the, the, the quarterback platoon road. And so before everybody continues to lose their minds on this, I just wanted to point out that Belichick gave a non-answer. It was a non-answer. He talked about things that might potentially help them, which is his job. His job is to think about things that would be best for the team. As he said, whatever that is, I would definitely consider it. Run unbalanced line, double unbalanced line, 23 personnel. And if you're wondering, whoa, maybe they are going to do more 23 personnel. They've run it four times in the past two years. Belichick's job is to think about ways to help the team win. But this was a non-answer to this question. Everybody's going to calm down. Now, I haven't said that. Look, he probably comes out and does it. It makes me look like a fool yet again. But this is one I'm willing to bet on. Anyway, just wanted to harp on that for a bit. Up next, the Senator Phil Perry. Get a chance to catch up. Last time we saw each other was out in Indy before everything changed. We'll talk about the offense, the defense, quarterback platoons, getting bears at the Marriott. That's all ahead. And some quality time here on episode 127 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back to episode 127 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. It's time for some quality time. We're going to talk about camp. And who better than the man that covers the New England Patriots and all things Boston sports, really, but primarily the Patriots for NBC Sports Boston. You know him as the senator. He's the one and only Phil Perry. Phil, my friend, how are you, man? Mark, thank you so much for having me, sir. I'm doing great. We've got a beautiful, beautiful Thursday morning on our hands. I'm actually headed in to see the fourth Patriots training camp practice. And I'm coming off the high of watching training camp practice number three, which I thought, listen, I like the hitting as much as the next guy. I love watching Jakob Johnson just bludgeon people at the line of scrimmage. But we got to watch the quarterback chuck it around the lot yesterday, and I'm still – feeling goosebumps just thinking back to that because that was a lot of fun well since you mentioned quarterbacks and people know my background as a quarterback guy let's start on the defensive side of the ball okay we've got lots of defections at the second level we've got linebackers like Dante Hightower, Landon Roberts, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins either having left via free agency or deciding to opt out of this season so who's likely to step up on the second level who's looked good so far at camp yeah I think when you look at it and the way I look at this, Mark, and, and it's sort of how we've looked at the Patriots for years upon years now under Bill Belichick, which is who is, I mean, the cliche we know is next man up, but I think they truly look at it in that way at times too. Okay. We had X player leave via free agency, X player retired. 
someone needs to take that role. Yeah, we could maybe get by by using two players to try to fill in at different points in time during a game, different situations. Maybe it's this guy on first and second down. Maybe it's this guy on third down to help make up for a Dante Hightower, whoever it might be. But I'm trying to just think about one-for-one swaps right now. And the way that I look at it, Mark, is Juwan Bentley has to be Dante Hightower, ready or not, Juwan Bentley in his third year, uh, because he is their only experienced guy who's a true inside linebacker, which is where the Patriots played him primarily, we know, last season. And then after that, I think Josh Uche actually, at least right now, looks like the primary candidate to me to take those off-the-ball linebacker snaps next to Juwan Bentley if they want a guy there next to him. We know sometimes they'll have one true inside linebacker off the ball, and it'll be a safety next to him. But if they want two inside guys, right now to me it looks like Bentley and Uche. And Uche I find absolutely fascinating because you could play him kind of anywhere, but one of the things he did really well at Michigan was blitz. And I look at some of the things he does well, and it's a little different body type, but he's such a dynamic athlete, Mark. I look at him and say, could he do some of the same things that they asked Jamie Collins to do? Maybe not quite the same athlete that Collins was, but a pretty damn good athlete. And so I look at him as the Collins replacement for Van Noy. That's where it gets a little bit more complicated Mm -hmm. because to me, unless Anthony Jennings becomes a true every down edge defender, then you are probably looking at Van Noy as one of these guys who you would need multiple bodies to try to replace. And so maybe it's, you know, opposite John Simon, who got a lot of starts last year. Maybe it's Anthony Jennings on first and second down and Chase Winovich on third. Or if Anthony Jennings is out, which he has been through three days of practice, maybe it's Chase Winovich all three downs. And you try to figure out if you can make that actually work. I'm not sure you can. Um, but we'll see, I guess, from Chase Winovich when he actually gets uh, an opportunity to, to stop the run a little bit. We haven't seen a ton of that so far in camp. But that's sort of how I would look at those top three guys. And then if you want to even throw a Landon Roberts in there, I think Cash Malawia would actually be a, a decent replacement for a Landon Roberts. He picked off Cam Newton yesterday, but he looks to me just sort of like a um, maybe a little bit bigger than a Landon Roberts, but a pretty aggressive guy at the second level the way Roberts was. I wanted to ask you about some of the rookies on the defensive side of the ball. And since you seem to mention him in an interesting role, I'm going to focus on Josh Uche because – down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl, he was really looked as more of a tweener type, a guy that's going to be like a third down pass rush specialist. That's how he was used at Michigan as well. And you're saying you might see him more as a traditional off-ball linebacker at times. How has he looked so far in camp, and how has that led you to that sort of idea? So we have seen him moved around. So he has played on the edge, uh, and we've seen him, I would say, off the ball a little bit more, though. And I think part of that is by necessity. I mean, again, mm-hmm. you have Juan Bentley and, and who else as your inside linebackers right now. Now, right. they could use the body on the edge, too. And I actually checked in. We saw a report, I guess, from uh, Mike Lombardi uh, yesterday afternoon that Yannick Ngakwe was about to be moved. And anytime Lombardi says anything, he obviously worked with the Patriots. His son still works for the Patriots. I reached out to a couple people today. Hey, you guys trade for uh, Yannick Ngakwe? Right. <laughs> and, and that was. No, and that was a no. But the reason I asked and the, why it might make sense is, you know, they have some cap space, but they could use a, a body on the edge. So um, I think with Uche, it's wherever you need him. And right now they could use a guy who can play inside. I think there's 
a chance that we could see him play quite a bit on the outside as well. But when you look at his build, Mark, for me, when you look at this Patriots defense and the, and the body types that they have, they have had, I think they would, they like a little bit more length maybe on the outside. Uche doesn't, doesn't necessarily um, strike me as that long limbed type, but he's, he's a great athlete. He can make himself small. Um, and so he can get around the edge and, and be that guy in third down situations if you want him to be. But I like the athleticism to be able to cover. I like him as a blitzer. I mean, you watch him at Michigan, and Don Brown, the defense coordinator of Michigan, is a New England guy. Uh, right. He spent a lot of his career in New England, and he watches the Patriots a lot. And I spoke to him about it this offseason, and he looked at somebody like Uche and that skill set, and he said, oh, why wouldn't we use him at the end of the line of scrimmage? And mugging the A-gap pre-snap and dropping into coverage or blitzing or running games, uh, you know, with our defensive linemen. He, he wanted to use Uche like Collins, like Hightower. And so I think Uche has an opportunity to, to fill in in New England and, and be one of those guys, essentially. Phil, is Kyle Duggar playing as well as my timeline would have me believe? <laughs> he might be playing better. Really? Because, I mean... Yeah, yesterday it was literally the guys like everywhere. He's everywhere. Uh, and I, I think there have been multiple points in time in every single one of these practices where he's just been around the football and disrupted plays. And it's really, I, I'm very surprised to be honest with you, Mark. And I've, I've written extensively about Duggar this off season and how, yes, he's, from Division Two, but if you look at what kind of athlete he is, there's a really good chance that this pans out. And, you know, I think the contrast that you've seen in terms of the players that the Patriots have taken over the years in the second round, you know, SEC guys, Duke Dawson, uh, Cyrus Jones, Jawan Williams, who we're still kind of waiting to hear from in training camp, um, who, and Cyrus Jones was a very good athlete in terms of, definitely in terms of change of direction, but like Dawson and Jawan Williams, not maybe known necessarily for their athletic gifts, whereas you look at, you know, again, sticking with the Patriots' relatively recent past, you know, guys from smaller programs, whether it's Logan Ryan coming out of Rutgers, but who was an, another elite change of direction athlete, or Malcolm Butler coming out of Division Two, those guys were tremendous athletes. Leaving college, they did not play against the best of the best in college. And they ended up having really good careers versus, you know, some of these other second-round guys that we've seen from the Patriots. So um, I think the athleticism is going to play with Duggar. And he, the, the skills at the catch point for him, the ability to find the football in the air and get his hands on it and not only just knock it away, but to pick it off. I mean, he's two days in a row uh, with an interception. Had Jarrett Stidham deep down the middle of the field on Tuesday. He got Cam Newton in the end zone on Wednesday. He almost got Stidham again in the end zone on the very next play after picking off Cam. So he he looks special. And I I, I really try not – you know me well enough. I, I try not to overhype early. And I know it's early. We're only three practices in. But, Mark, he has already done so much more in three practices than we ever saw from – a Duke Dawson or Jordan Richards or Tavon Wilson or Jawan Williams. And so I think what's happening is you're seeing him get opportunity in part because Patrick Tung has opted out. And so you have Adrian Phillips and Duggar and Terrence Brooks sort of rotating through those safety spots. Uh, But he's 
had an opportunity to make a ton of plays, and he's made a ton of plays, more so than Adrian Phillips, more so than Devin McCourty. I mean, there, there has been no defender who's been around the football more than Kyle Duggar through three practices. Phil, I mentioned before I hit record, I hadn't had my pre-workout yet, but after that answer, I don't need it. Like, I'm ready to run through a wall. Like, let's let's kick off week one right now, but that I, I do want to trick... Go ahead. And, and, I, and I have listeners, and I know how, you know, just how closely they follow all of this, and and, uh, and I appreciate your work, Mark, and I'm an avid listener myself, and so I don't want to go overboard, but, it, you know, it's just I think what's, what's caught me off guard with Duggar is that even talking to people from Lenore Ryan, they would tell you going into this year, well, I mean, he is coming from Division Two and he is making a transition to the NFL in a shortened preseason in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, you know, he's probably a special teamer year one, but then, you know, year two, three, four, you know, they think he could be, you know, if he really maxes out his ability, he might be the next Derwin James. Like, that's how they talk about him. But even they would acknowledge year one is not going to be the year. And it looks like he's exceeding even their expectations. And so that's why he's opened my eyes for sure. Phil, let's go to where everybody wants to go. The question on everybody's mind, how has the rookie kicker looked? <laughs> I don't. Listen. You would be shocked by the number of people at NBC Sports Boston that are just fascinated to hear about this kicker. Um, I believe I it, man. I believe what's it. Most what's been most interested about him, uh, most interesting about him through three practices is that we've only seen him kick on one day. Uh, and it was the, the first day that the media was allowed into practice, and he had five kicks, and Mark, it was an adventure. Okay. It was an adventure. He made three. Uh, it was about from 40 yards away, I would say. Uh, he hooked one way wide left. He pushed one wide right. He snuck one just inside the right upright, and he banked one in off the left upright. So he did sort of narrow his focus, I guess, as the as the drill went on. Um, but it was a little bit of a roller coaster for uh, old Justin Rohrwasser. So we'll see if he gets some more kicks today. Okay, let's go to the offense. We'll start at right tackle. Marcus Cannon opting out. Who do you think wins that gig? Who have they used there so far? It looks to me like Jermaine Illuminor has the inside track on it there, and uh, it makes sense to me because he's somebody who has played some NFL football. I mean, we saw Corey Cunningham a little bit last year for the Patriots when he had to come in for Cannon when Cannon got hurt uh, in week two, I believe it was, down in Miami. I think Cannon actually ended up not finishing the week one game, and we saw Joe Tooney play right tackle, which was an interesting idea to bat around this offseason. They just kicked their $15 million offensive lineman over to the right side. We haven't seen that yet. Uh, we've seen Jermaine Illuminor get a lot of opportunities there. We've seen Yadi Kajus get some. Illuminor has been fine to me. Kajus uh, has had some issues. We saw him. Uh, get beat pretty easily by Derek Rivers uh, on Monday. I believe the next day, Chase Winovich got him for a you know a quote unquote sack. Obviously, there's no contact, but um, he's had a couple losses, taken a few L's. So right now, I would look at Illuminor, and, and most of his NFL experience is at guard. So you know, even if he's the more experienced of the three that are kind of vying for that position right now, how relevant is it? But he played a little bit of tackle in Baltimore. I remember when the Patriots traded for him last year going back and looking at it because they needed a tackle. This was after, uh, uh, was this, this might've been right after Isaiah Wynn got hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, and he 
he actually performed pretty well. He he played tackle against the Steelers and saw a lot of Bud Dupree, uh, a little bit of T.J. Watt, and held his own. So I think the Patriots are hoping they sh- can just get by there right tackle because, Mark, the guys that they're going to see, the pass rushers that they're going to see oh, on yeah. the off right edge are freaking scary, man. I yeah. mean, it's, it's every good pass rusher in the NFL. It's Chandler Jones, it's Von Miller, it's J.J. Watt, it's Joey Bosa. So those guys all last year – rush primarily off the offensive right. So that's obviously a big gig, whoever ends up getting it. A lot of hype about the rookie tight ends, particularly even in the fantasy world. A lot of people are thinking Devin ICSC might see a lot of targets this year. How have those two rookie tight ends looked? I thought uh, Wednesday, the third practice, was sort of a down day for them, to be honest. Um, And part of the reason I say that is because they actually were, were pretty impressive day one. And I'll just start out with, you know, not even the kinds of plays that they've made so far, but with Asiasi in particular, the one thing that stood out to me through three days of practice is he's the guy from that tight end group that's going over to work with the quarterbacks and the best receivers and James White during the side session periods that happen during kicking game work. And if you've been to Patriots training camp practice before, you know that when it was time to do kickoff or punt, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, you know, maybe Brandon LaFell back in 2014, they wanted to try to work him in. Those guys that didn't really have a special teams role but were obviously key offensive players would go over to a separate field and they'd work on red zone, they'd work on specifics of routes and the footwork that Brady was looking for and Josh McDaniels would usually be with them but Brady would be coaching them almost as much as McDaniels would be well they're still doing these side sessions with Brady gone and it's still a lot of the same guys that that you might think would be there it's Julian Edelman it's James White Mohamed Sanu the quarterback and Devin Asiasi and I just felt like that was an indication of the Patriots understanding that he's probably their most gifted tight end right now and they got to catch him up to speed as quickly as possible because you probably don't want to be running Ryan Izzo out there as your starter, and you are dealing with a shortened offseason, so get the guy as many reps as possible. So that's set out number one, but he's very fluid. He's a really good athlete for 260 pounds at six foot three. He catches it pretty smoothly, although I say that, and he dropped two passes yesterday. Right. But the first two to practice, he was really good um, in terms of just full, you know, and, and – credit the quarterbacks putting it on the money but um you know in stride plucking the football out of the air with his hand he went up and over Devin McCourty early in yesterday's practice for a very nice catch that the offense uh, applauded him for and then Dalton Keene has been sort of used everywhere which I think is what we anticipated in the backfield in the slot a little bit in line uh and he's made some nice catches as well he did um allow a sack yesterday essentially he was supposed to be helping out on Chase Winovich, and Chase Winovich kind of cut through the line and uh, and got into Cam Newton, I believe it was. But um, but I would say overall, the three days of practice, those two have have been have been solid for, for two guys that play a difficult position that, you know, has so much on their plates in terms of running game and passing game and really not being on the field until a few days ago and, and having as many positive moments as they've had. Sure, they're going to have their hiccups, but to – to show a little bit, even just through three days of practice, I think has been a good sign for them. All right, Phil, the big question on everybody's mind, enough dancing around it. 
Tell me about the quarterbacks. You know what? I, I almost I, I felt like you were going to go to, you know, tell me about the offensive quality. I was going to ask you about Joe Cardona, like how has he looked so far. But, no, I mean, we we got to do it. Tell me, Phil, about the quarterbacks. Why do I hear resignation in your voice when you ask me about the quarterbacks? I mean, you know what? I've talked for so long about how I was so excited to cover a quarterback battle in New England, and now that it's here, it's like, oh, man. It was easier with Tom because it was just like TP12 is here. He's fine. Let's talk about everything else. But you know what, Phil? I think it was yesterday. The idea of the quarterback platoon that that everybody ran with. What Bill just seemed to me, and maybe I'm wrong here, gave just a generic non-answer about I'll do whatever to help the team. And all of a sudden I get editors from every place I write for saying, hey, write about how this could work. And I'm like, why? He's not going to do that. Am I the crazy one? I'm not going to say, well, first of all, I'm going to apologize because I was the guy who asked him about platooning. I know. I I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, Phil. But yeah, now that you put it out there, it was you. I can tell you're holding it against me. I I know it. I can feel it through the phone. (laughs) I'm Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You had to ask the question. I get it. Everybody was talking about it, so you had to ask the question. Well, and listen, you know, we're we're just dying for, for stuff to talk about, right? And there's plenty to talk about now that we can actually watch practice. But I think part of the reason that it's in anyone's mind, I think the, the reasons are twofold. Number one, the quarterback reps have been split in training camp, and you, you know, harken back to the days of Brady. When's the last time we've seen split right. quarterback reps? Yeah. I mean, when Brady was going to be out the first four games of the season, he was still, for, for a large chunk of that camp, he was getting the starter snaps. And then as they got later in the summer, you started to see Jimmy Garoppolo get a little bit more work. But um, we're just not used to seeing this. And so I think that's what sparked the idea. Mike Reese wrote about it yesterday. Um, but I would say the, the, the second portion of, of why it was in my mind was because we have seen a prominent coach on the Patriots staff use two quarterbacks by design in the past where one was kind of your standard drop-back guy and one was a power runner. And it didn't go so well for Josh McDaniels. He actually didn't finish out the season. This was 2010 in Denver. But 2010 in Denver, he drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. And in the mid, you know, right around mid-season, I believe it was, I I watched some of these games earlier this offseason right after the Patriots signed Newton. Mid-season that year, 2010, he starts using Tim Tebow in some quarterback running specific packages. And obviously, it's a different situation. Number one, Cam Newton is not Tim Tebow. Like, Cam Newton, I think, should still be winning this job and probably playing full-time because he's shown enough through three days of practice to me that, okay, he's already starting to get it at least a little bit. Yeah, he has his his head-scratching moments, but he's been in the offense for about a month. You give him three more weeks this thing could actually look pretty good. So that's sort of where I lean. But Josh McDaniels has, has shown that he's willing to do this, and you draft him Tebow in the first round for a reason if you're Josh McDaniels, probably hoping that he becomes your full-time guy. But he had an idea in mind, and we've seen this other places, right? We've seen it to a certain extent in New Orleans. Obviously, that's the most obvious one where Chase Hill right. will occasionally get snaps and take him away from Drew Brees. We've seen it at the college level, right, with Tebow and – Chris Leak, like yep. he, like 
have seen it in some, in some successful places in the past, and I would not put it past Josh McDaniels or Bill Belichick, both of them outside-the-box thinkers, to try to maximize what they have at that position in those two players by really accentuating their skill sets, especially early in the season, Mark. Couldn't you see early in the season if Cam Newton is maybe not quite where they want him in terms of being able to make all the checks at the line and get them out of a bad play, if he's still learning, you don't have to sit him down. You could play Jared Stidham, but you could play Cam Newton and give him these zone read running packages, quarterback power, quarterback draw, all the stuff we've talked about for the last month and a half since he signed. Use him in those specific situations. Keep it maybe a little bit simple for him. Dress it up with all kinds of motion, missile motion, orbit motion. Make it look more complicated than it is. But use the guy in terms of just being a runner. Give him one read to make and let him go and and sort of unleash him that way, at least early until maybe he picks up more of the offense and can take on the offense and the the full reins, I guess, of the offense on a full-time basis. Does that sound crazy to you? I mean, it's not the craziest that I've heard. No, you make a good point there, man. Maybe I, like I said, and it happens a lot. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. I mean, that's never happened before. No, it has. It has, my friend. We've been treading new ground, and we want to mark this down. Uh, what is this? August twentieth, two thousand twenty. Uh, mark Schofield. No, I, listen. I think I, I just look at. I think. McDaniels' history with Tebow is what's is what's really interesting to me because yeah. uh, he wanted to do that so badly and he wanted it to work so badly, obviously. Uh, and and does he now have basically a souped up version of, of what he was looking for in twenty ten? What do you think they should do at that at that spot? I mean, do you feel like if if New say Newton is not able to make every check at the line that they would want? do you still think that they should use him as the start? Because, again, I told you I, I am leaning that way still. I think he should probably start week one and just be the guy. Forget the platoon thing. Uh, but what do you think? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you're just getting, you know, 75% of the playbook and the checks from Cam Newton, I think you'd still take that week one. I mean, we all know Belichick kind of uses the first four games as an extended preseason anyway, and that might even happen to a bigger degree in this sort of COVID-19 era. And so I think all the teams are going to be sort of behind their schedules. And so 75% of the playbook and the checks might be enough early, you know, especially, you know, I I think the Patriots got an underrated W the other day when Seattle announced no fans in the stands. That's going to make week two a lot easier for whoever's under center. And so I think unless Cam Newton isn't physically there, if he gives you 75% of what you've got, I think you roll with it. But the idea of you, the idea of using both of them, though, you know, the way you spelled it out and given McDaniels' history, it does make sense. What would be a reasonable percentage? You mentioned 75% of the playbook, and I agree with you. And, and I think you know, just given Newton's experience dissecting a defense, I mean, we, we talk about Jared Stidham having an advantage in terms of his understanding of the offense, but Cam Newton's going to understand what defenses are throwing at him, I would think, at a much higher level than, than Jared Stidham right now. So that is a, is a feather in Cam's uh, beautiful hats. Um, right. But, 
what percentage of the Patriots' offense do you think it would be okay? Because I don't know if it would get to seventy-five. Like, what if it's only fifty? What if it's what if it's fifty, but it's like a package of eight, you know, quarterback uh, zone read types of looks that they don't usually even have in their offense that we haven't really seen from their offense. Yeah, I mean, I think fifty plus eight, if you want to put it that way, is enough to get you there. Um, you know, I, I think if it's a situation where he's only really comfortable with, you know, the day one, day two type installs, like call them that, you know, the stuff that would have been installed in minicamp and OTAs, then I think you've got a much tougher question, you know, because then if it's basically the bare bones of the offense, plus what he can do on some designed runs, I'm not sure that gets you to where you want to be as an offense, even in this sort of time we're living in, you know, and that might be a situation where they say, okay, We'll start Jared, but we'll have some packages for Cam, whether it's short yardage, goal line, red zone, whatever, um, to get both of these guys on the field. And that might be the roadmap to the potential platoon we were talking about. Does that make sense? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I I would say, and that does make a lot of sense. And just to give you an idea of kind of where Cam maybe is in terms of some of the stuff we're talking about and the, the ability to change on the fly, which we know has made, you know, uh, the Patriots offense, you know, Tom Brady obviously is the best of the best when it comes to that, but just the ability to, to have that at his disposal just makes them so good. And if you can do that, if you're Jared Tittle, maybe you have a little bit of an edge in terms of where Cam Newton is on that front. I found a really interesting couple days ago at practice, uh, you know, seven on seven, it's ones, essentially, V1s, and Cam Newton, uh, you know, is at the line of scrimmage, and Devin McCourty shouts out a call. Alert, you know, alert this. We're not allowed to report exactly what, right. what these guys are saying out there. But he makes a call, and he basically calls out the play that the offense is going to run before the offense runs it. Cam knows it. The defense knows it. Cam doesn't know what to do. Cam has to turn around. He basically turns his palms up to the sky. He looks back at, I believe it was Jed Fish, the quarterback's coach, as if to say, well, what do you want me to do now? They know the play. And he basically got, hey, man, you're on your own. <laughs> and right. they ran the play, and it ends up not being a good play. It gets broken. You know, he tries to force a pass into his slot receiver, and it gets broken up. But that's, that's the kind of thing you could see more of when the reps start to get a little bit more intense and the defense is so in tune to, uh, you know, what you might be doing. Now, they'll have an advantage. Patriots will have an advantage in that nobody really knows what they're going to do, right? They haven't had Cam Newton before. Uh, and so they're not going to be able to just look at formation and say, alert the missile or alert the, you know, alert the, you know, the draw or whatever it is. Right. And so maybe you will be able to get by with Cam even if he can't change those things at the line of scrimmage. But that was just one interesting moment that sort of told me, okay, yeah, I mean, this guy, like, has had some really nice moments, but he still has only been in the offense for about a month. That's a fascinating bit of insight, Phil. I really appreciate that. I know I've kept you long, partly because, look, man, last time we were together, it was out in Indy and things were normal. I mean, which I was actually thinking about this morning. Like, we were at the JW Marriott having an adult beverage. It was like everything was hunky-dory, and then Brady's gone, Cam's here, and we're all locked under quarantine. It's been a weird, weird journey since then. 
Phil, I know I've taken a lot of your time, but I want to get you out of here on this. You're on your way to camp today. What are you looking for both today and sort of the rest of training camp? So I'm wondering, first and foremost, if they're going to be back in pads today, and I think they might be. Um, and, and really what I'm looking forward to is, yes, we want to see this, this quarterback competition, but something I wrote about this morning is, is styles making fights. And to me, we, we got a real glimpse at the two very different quarterback styles possessed by Stidham and Newton. It was during one very specific period of practice where it was 11 on 11, and there were seven snaps where, again, a couple hours after Bill Belichick did not rule out. I know you hated the question and you hate me for it. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, I don't hate you for it. I just mildly despise you. Okay. It's okay. I can, I can just I hear it in your voice. I, um, so he doesn't rule out a platoon. And then a couple hours later, there's, a, there's seven snaps of 11 on 11 where he goes, Newton, Stidham, Newton, Newton, Stidham, Stidham, Newton. And we're all like, the hell was that? At least I was. I he just played with you, man. I mean, he, he, might, he very well might be. And he might be loving the fact that I wrote about that this morning. But not only did you get that ping-ponging back and forth between the quarterbacks in what would sort of be maybe a preview of a platoon system, if that's what they wanted to go to, but you saw in the types of plays they were running the very different styles. I mean, Jared Stidham of his four snaps that he got – I think pushed it down the field on three of them. And, and Cam Newton on the three that he had, he was part of a pretty elaborate looking running game. And again, we can't say exactly what's going on with these unconventional plays, but they were unconventional plays. And so that was the moment where it really hit me, man, this could be, this could be really kind of fun given the two different skill sets that you have at this position right now. And so I just want to see more of the unconventional stuff. And we're going to try to figure out ways to tell you guys, <laughs> what's going on when that unconventional stuff is happening. But I want to see more zone read. I want to see triple option. I want to see, uh, you know, triple option into a throwback screen. Like, these are the kinds of things that they look complicated. I'm not sure they would be incredibly complicated for a an offense that is loaded with, you know, some pretty smart guys, especially on the offensive line. And so I think you could get really creative if you're Josh McDaniels with all of this camp-specific stuff that you might be able to install for week one. So that, that's really what I'm looking at. I love them going throw for throw, which they were at times yesterday. But I, I want to see Cam, you know, at the mesh point, trying to figure out what to do. And then I want to see some options off of that. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. So I'm hoping to see some of that today. Absolutely tremendous stuff, Phil. You're, you're the best there is, man. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Remind everybody where they can find you and all the coverage you guys got going at NBC Sports Boston. You can find me on Twitter, at Phil A. Perry. We'll have all kinds of camp updates for you there as soon as the Twitter uh, leash is off, <laughs> which is right. basically what happens. I'm sure you guys know that. Uh, I, you, I'm sure your listeners follow a lot of us, but you'll find at the end of practice you just get this deluge of training camp notes. But um, try to give you something a little bit different, uh, at Phil A. Perry there. On Instagram, at Phil A. Perry. Uh, we're trying to do some Instagram live stuff on the NBC account. So that's at NBCS Boston on Instagram. Do some breakdowns, take a lot of questions from you guys on that uh, just about every day after practice. And then NBCSportsBoston.com. We've got our, our postcard from camp, which gives you basically every detail that you would need from training camp. 
trying to make you guys feel as though you're there. Obviously, no fans in the stands, which sucks. It just totally has changed the, the atmosphere there. Uh, but we want to let you guys know what's going on so you can find all those little nuggets in our postcard. Uh, and then we'll have, you know, Camp B. Stidham. We'll have Camp Battles. We will have all sorts of stuff on NBCSportsBoston.com. And we're doing training camp central every night during the week. Uh, and the time's a bit a little wonky because obviously we got Bruins and Celtics coverage going on as well. But we have typically been at 11 o'clock at night when the Bruins play, uh, or sorry, when the Celtics play. And we've been at 6 o'clock at night when they don't. So that's me and Tom Curran, and uh, we're having some fun on TV talking about camp too. So we have all the camp info that – we can download onto you. We're gonna we're gonna try to give you as much as that, uh, as much of that as possible on TV. Well, thanks so much, Phil. It was an absolute blast. We'll have to get together again soon, folks. That will do it for today. I will be back Monday. Until then, take care of each other. Check in on your loved ones and your neighbors. Wash those hands, and as you do, send along, help save the world, and bless those Patriots' reigns down in Foxborough.